This is kind of maybe part two of where we were last week. If you can remember with me, we started talking about the story of the prodigal son and how the central figure of it is this father who waits his child to come back. And today I want to talk just a little bit more about what a dad is and what we as men have and possess. And so to do that, if you would begin turning in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 6, we'll start there here in just a second. I was looking over the internet and just kind of started finding things that people said their dads taught them. And so it came down to this. There's some lessons from fathers from all over the world, from India, from England, from Germany, from America. So I just kind of compiled them all, and there was a lot of similarities, and so I want to give them to you. Here are the top uh, lessons from dads. Um, Number one, work hard early and wisely. Make sure that when you go to work, you know that you're there to work. And one of the dads said this, son, you will find that there are people that are more educated and more talented than you. There is only one thing that you can control, how hard you work. Um, the next is this, make sure your family gets your best. Um, in Japan, this was uh, one of the Proverbs they give out to every family. Make sure your family gets your best. Um, I hope that you're giving your best. And I know it's hard. Because when we go to work, we get worn out. We, we feel like there's nothing more to give. It's our job to invest in our families and make sure they get our best. Don't measure your life against anyone else's. Um, this goes to an American saying, trying to keep up with the Joneses. So don't measure your life against anyone else's. Make sure you're measuring your life with Jesus. Work on friendships. They're worth it. Make sure you work on friendships. Um, I heard a song, and I posted it to my friends this week. Um, You can't make old friends. You can only make new ones. I kind of wonder, it says sometime that if one person finds one true friend in a lifetime, that equivalents to being a a wealthy person. I kind of wonder today, are we investing in our old friends? those that have gone through it with us. Another lesson, ask for help. I thought that was an interesting thought to get from a dad. Um, It's hard to ask for help. Treat people right even when they don't treat you the same. I like this one. Create a not-to-do list. You know, we always have these to-do lists, these bucket lists, whatever they are, but we need to create a not-to-do list. Things that we will never give up in our lifetime. Things that we will not fall into. How about this one? Communicate, don't isolate. I mean, we as men, we we get this, right? Like, we're into Westerns. And, And so because of that, our Western heroes, very few of them had just like three buddies that ran around with. We liked guys that walked into town with their spurs clinging, didn't we? All alone. You know, they had that grimace on their face. We like the one-on-one down Main Street in the dirt. We, we like to see the tumbleweed go by, the townspeople shutting their doors. We like the good guys. The fact about it is God didn't create you to do life alone. So communicate. Don't isolate. Talk. 
share. Keep the child within you alive. I like this one because you can see it, right? This is the difference between getting old and growing old. It is keeping that child alive within you. It is not getting old. It's letting your driver's license get older than you are. I think that you can see this in people, can't you? You can see side by side somebody the same age that's kept the childhood alive in them and the one that didn't. The one that didn't always looks older, don't they? It's like life has just punched them in the face with a a lemon. The other one looks just alive. They look so happy. Keep the child alive within you. And the last is this, time and prayer and the word is never wasted. I hope that you'll take some of these to heart that there's lessons that we're always putting forth. I'll tell you then, probably seven of this list came from one man who had done the same thing, pulled from everyone else, but his lessons came from a dad that didn't do any of these things. Kind of wonder, what lessons are we teaching? Because even if you don't want to teach something to your kids, they're learning from you. They're always watching. They're always learning. And you are always teaching, whether you want to or not. I, I want to pause real quick to tell you a story, and I think I can do this now in the room. This week, I got to, uh, to be at a celebration service for a homegoing of a man that I knew just in part. Um, I knew his family really well, and so I got to show up and sit in the back of the sanctuary and listen. And uh, I'm going to leave the rest of his story and his name alone, but I want you to hear a story that happened. During the service, a man stood up and he started talking about some things that I don't believe this man really wanted shared. But I was glad he did. Because back in the day, they were building a church. And they had put all this money together and they had built the church and all around the church was dirt. And this man would go to his home where he took care of his yard and he would pull up grass from his house and go plant it at the church. And today, the fact that there's grass all the way around the church is because he pulled the grass from his house. That's a lesson. It's a lesson not only to his family that probably knew that story, but it was a lesson to me. You see, not everything that we have to teach needs a stage or a microphone. Some of the greatest things that you will teach happen in the quiet moments when no one else is watching, but everyone is listening. For an example, what are you showing the world? So as we look at the passage today, 2 Corinthians, we're going to actually jump uh, right into verse 6 of this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 is this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have his treasures in jars of clay, so that his extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus, so that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. 
So death works in us, but life in you. And since you have the same spirit of faith in keeping what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. We know the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that grace extended through more and more people may cause thanksgiving to increase to God's glory. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentarily light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For, we have, uh, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In this passage, Paul's writing about him being imprisoned and, and the persecution he feels through that. And, and as he's writing to this church in Corinth, this Corinthian group, you can just imagine his words and how they know where he's at. They know the affliction he's experiencing. And they're trying to capture, is following Jesus worth it? Because the best of the best of them is being imprisoned and persecuted, and he's dying. And you got to kind of wonder, what would it look like if Billy Graham had been imprisoned in the U.S. for his faith? Would we celebrate him as much? Because he wasn't. He stood on stages, and he preached in massive coliseums, and, and we celebrated that. But what are our heroes of faith today that are in, in China and imprisoned, in India and being persecuted? I mean, we've got to capture this, that Paul was a different kind of evangelist. He preached most of his sermons and letters that we read in text from prison walls, house arrest or prison. So when he's being celebrated, when he's talking to these people and he's encouraging them, he's writing from a place that seems pretty vulnerable. But man, the power in this moment, the power in this passage, I hope you capture it, that he is talking about something that we need to hear today. And dads in particular, I hope you capture this. Number one, dads are to model that we are all jars of clay. Which means this, dads. We may feel 10 foot tall and bulletproof, but we realize that none of us really is. We all have the same condition. God breathed into dust all of us. We all have the same condition. Without air, we die. So because of that, we are all frail. And we're all in need of something greater than ourselves. And what is placed in our jar is significant. This passage, as we read it in verse 6, I started there for a reason. Because it says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of God's glory and the face of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, what our jars of clay are is nothing. Momentary, very quick. None of us knows the longevity of our jars. It's, it's here one minute and gone the next. That's what Scripture says. Like a gust of wind. We have such a short time to inflict change on our world. Such that we as dads, we as men of households, we who lead need to use the light. We need to shine the light. We need to show the light. We need to train in the light. It's significant. I, I'm so grateful that I had a dad growing up that trained me in things. This Yesterday, uh, we were driving around and noticed that my back fence had a post that was cracked. It's been cracked for a while, but it really got a lean going. 
So I was like, I've got to fix that. So I went to the big box store and got a big post and went out in the backyard. And I'd seen my dad do this before, but man, it was so beneficial to know what to do. I mean, because without my dad, I'd pretty much just be on YouTube, right? Um, so man, I pulled this fence post out. I, I put the new one in. I got my fence secure and I stood in the backyard, which by the way, I did this yesterday, the hottest day this week, which is also brilliant. I learned that from my dad as well. Um, I stood in the backyard and I went, I did that. Y'all ever had this moment? I did that. Yay. My fence isn't falling over. And, and I stood out there for a minute and just kind of went, all right. My dad showed me that. I can do minor plumbing things because my dad showed me that. I can do enough electricity to either shock myself or actually hang a fan. Because um, my dad showed me that. The lessons that I have in my life, I saw from my dad, but I also saw from my dad something I don't know if any of y'all had, but I had growing up. I lived in a pastor's household. I saw the days that my dad would come home in tears and the days he came home whistling. I saw the days he had to walk into a business meeting when it wasn't going to be pretty. And I saw the days that we got to celebrate people being baptized. I watched my dad, and my dad never hid ministry from me. You know, my dad never closed the door to talk about ministry. And y'all may think, well, that's sad. I'm so grateful for that today. Because I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. And I know when I don't know what to do, who to call. And I, I got to tell you, those lessons were poured into me. And it's my job to pour it into the next generation. Because God has filled us so well, hasn't he? He's poured into you through trials and temptations, through hardship, through joy, through birthdays and funerals. He's poured into you. And your job is not to be something that just sits idly. Lest we forget that water put into a jar and left outside in West Texas grows what? Don't say mold. Mosquitoes. That's right. It grows mosquitoes. Don't be that person. Pour yourself out. Be fresh. Always be fresh. Always go to the Word. Always go to prayer. Always go to fellowship because you must be filled. Because there's eyes always watching you. Something else we need to pour into the next generation. The people in our influence will always, listen to this, the people in our influence will always feel the gravity of the world. They'll always feel it. And I'm not talking about science gravity. I mean, that's why all of us need to go on Weight Watchers, right? So the gravity's just a little bit less. The leaner you get, the, the more gravity falls around you, right? But I'm talking about the gravity of this world. Your children are going to go to school and somebody's going to say something that's going to hurt them. Your wife is going to go somewhere and be hurt by someone. Your neighbors, your, your kids you teach at school, your co-workers, your parents, they're all going to feel the gravity of this world. And because of that, we need to remind ourselves of this. We all are jars of clay, temporary, for an eternal to come. Listen, I believe that we see things so short-sighted. Our temporary affliction, as Paul says it, is like that compared to an eternal with God. But we look at a world that all feels the gravity of the world. We are constantly, as Paul says, pressured in every way but not crushed, 
persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Your world will feel this. And when it does, it needs to see someone standing next to them saying, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. Don't give up. When I was growing up, we had a rule. If you start a season in any sport, you have to finish it. Doesn't mean you have to do it next year. Just means you have to finish this year. I'll never forget being around friends that would get through a certain amount of time in a season and just quit. People that you'd count upon, people you hoped would be there for you, gone. They just got tired of being there. You start to wonder, how does that happen? How do you give up? Well, the gravity of their moment felt too large, and those around them, their other jars of clay that lived with them, told them they could give up. In Christ, we are stronger than that. When the weight of this world happens, men, we should be a solid foundation to say, don't give up now. Don't stop. Don't give up. But here's the other thing. Dads, we should model the living Jesus within us. We should model the living Jesus within us. Jesus is not something that you add into your life and leave alone. He's alive. He's alive and well. I saw a, a video the other day on the YouTubes. And uh, it's this family that pulled their dryer away from the wall. Have y'all seen this yet? They take the front-facing part of their dryer off and start pulling out snakes. Somebody put, I'm never using my dryer again. I'm saying, I'm not moving close to where you live. If snakes are climbing in your dryer, I'm out. It's the reason we don't move to Australia, right? Like, I don't want to show up and a spider be eating my dog. Be like, well, that's unfortunate. Have y'all seen these? They climb, oh, anyways, woo. Um, but they're pulling snakes out of their dryer and made me think, that thing's alive. They're pulling them out, and this guy's just holding this snake like it's nothing. And listen, I'm a firm believer in Scripture. It says we can pick up serpents and be struck but not die. I'm not going to test that. I, I'll just, I'll leave that to someone else's faith. I'll be like, I'm calling somebody. If I go to get my socks out of the dryer and there's a snake in there, he can have them. He needs them more than I do. Tell your friends, we're burning this house down. I'm just saying, like, what is it with people that don't see that living things are alive? I I don't pick up dead snakes. Like, I don't know about y'all, there's souvenir shops down by Louisiana that have, like, alligator heads. They cut them off and they, like, put them in plastic and people buy those. I'll pass. I don't want to meet that guy in in person. And I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night and forget that he's not real. Y'all know exactly, you will hurt yourself. I would. I'd be like, ah! Like that, and oh, he's dead. Who bought this? Um, Jesus in us is not something that's dead. He's not something that's been passed on or dormant. I think that we see Jesus like, like a slinky. When you set a slinky on a counter, stacked on top of itself, it doesn't move on its own. That's not Jesus. Jesus is alive. And when put into your life, he is going to shape you from then on. He's going to challenge you. And I believe this. When we run from Jesus, you ready for this one? He'll bring you back to himself. It just won't be on your terms. It happens all the time. I had somebody the other day call me and say, hey, Kyle, thank you for praying for our kid who we believe is a prodigal. 
What do we do? I mean, how do we help our child? And I said, time out. You be a dad. You be a mom. Let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. He works better than y'all. And they're like, oh, but what if it takes eight years? I'm like, what if it takes 20 years? Let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's alive. Holy Spirit will change the world and continues to. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I can't read Scripture and understand it. You and I can't even pray sometimes. I'm telling you, Holy Spirit does a lot of work. And He works on our world constantly. i got to tell you, God is alive. And when Jesus is within us, we need to show it. I believe this, that God is as good at a church that runs 20 as he is at a church that runs thousands. I believe he's just as good there at both places. I believe that Jesus can touch people's lives in a church that runs five as much as he can touch a church that runs 10,000. Don't you believe it? Jesus is alive in you. You need to show it. You need to show it. Next, all those around us should see grace modeled through godly men. They should see grace modeled. We see this in the scriptures. That grace is a key factor in the writings of Paul. He talks about grace in extensive languages. He uses it in context of life and the movement of God and how it affects our lives. Grace is significant and because of that, we must model it not only in terms of Jesus, but in terms of human connection. People should see grace exhibited through you. You know why? Because it's been extended to you when you didn't deserve it. Grace is good. Grace is powerful. Here's the next. Men should show a lifetime commitment to Jesus. A lifetime commitment to Jesus. I... I think legacy is probably the word that pops into my mind with this. What will be our legacy at the end of our lives? What will we pass on? Because ultimately, like in my life, one day when my dad goes to be with Jesus, and I hope that he and I just meet Jesus and we both go that way together. But when, when my dad goes, I won't talk about all the things he showed me with plumbing at his funeral. That probably won't even come up. There's some funny stories about plumbing with my dad. Um, great stories of, of electrical work and things like that, but, but that won't be what I talk about. Because see, in my life, my dad showed me Jesus. An accountant at a seed company that comes home and tells his family I'm called into the ministry. He showed me what it looked like to be a pastor that vacuums and sweeps and paints and works. He showed me how to love a woman because he loved my mother. He showed me how to parent and saw how I parent my kids. Can I just ask you a question? If today you're approached by the greatest biography writer in the world and they sat at your table and they simply said, I have been asked to write a biography of your life. So let's start. Chapter one, who are you? Chapter two, who are you influencing? Chapter 3, when you messed up. Chapter 4, how you redeemed it. 
Would anybody see Jesus in your pages? Or would they just see a basketball coach, a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher, a student, a friend? What would they see? This uh, wealthy man passed away. They gathered his will after the funeral, and they invited 50 people in, different uh, philanthropy things that he had given to in the past, his family, some neighbors, things like that. And one by one, they started going down the list from the least amount given to the greatest, and started with an organization he'd given to. He'd, he was a wealthy man. He, he gave several hundred of thousand dollars to this organization, and as he kind of went down the list, as they heard what they were given, another lawyer asked them to go to another room to sign documents. And at the very end was two people, his only son and the minister at his church. And the tension was high. And, and the will read like this. I've had two loves in my life, God and my family. To each I give equal amounts. One caution. He said, y'all figure out what's left and divide it. And so the lawyer said, here's the chart of accounts. Y'all have at it. The young man said, listen, minister, I'm sure you're a good guy, but I don't know who you are. My dad, you weren't his pastor. He went to that church for years, but we don't know you. Um, but let me tell you what I know about you guys. Y'all were there for my mom. Y'all were there for my uncle and my aunt. I got married in that church. My kids were baptized there. Y'all can have it all. I have a question for you. Are you investing in the next generation in such a way that they would see that Jesus is worth it all? Because when I was growing up, we used to sing a song. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And when I was a kid, I didn't know what that meant. I'd give my heart to Jesus, but I didn't know what a full surrender looked like until that Sunday after my dad came back. And said he was going into the ministry. There was no money attached to that. No securities. No retirements. <laughs> he left corporate America. And became a small town church pastor. But I can remember that Sunday. I don't know if I've ever told my parents this. I can remember it. I can remember my parents going to the front and praying. And for the first time in my life. 
I saw my dad fully surrendered to God. He's my hero. My hope in my life is this. That when my kids look back on me, if they ever wrote a book about me, my children could write the foreword to the book and say, my dad was fully surrendered to God. That's the legacy I want to leave. Because I'm just a jar of clay here for a short moment, full of the light of Jesus. I want to fully surrender to him. Because that's what a man of God does. Men in this room, would you take that kind of challenge? Let's bow our heads. Our music team's going to be coming. You'll hear them. You don't even have to look up. We started our service by talking about the Lord's Supper. And how Jesus willingly died for us, fully surrendered. Today is your opportunity to fully surrender back to him. Maybe you're a man like me in this room that battles surrender. We want to be fully committed to Jesus. We just don't know how all the time, and and we mess it up more often than we'd like to say. Maybe today you just come to the altar, men, and you would kneel and pray and ask God to lead you in full surrender to him. You just say, Jesus, I want to be fully committed to you so I can show all those around me what it looks like to have a lifetime commitment to Jesus. If that's you, I want to invite you to join me. I'm going to be kneeling and praying because I need that in my life still today as the pastor of the church. I want to be fully committed to Jesus. And if that's the kind of commitment you would make today, I want to be fully committed. I know Jesus, but I want to be fully committed to him. Surrendering everything. Maybe today you'd come and just kneel at the altar with me and pray. Maybe today you need to know Jesus. You can't surrender to him what you haven't given away to him. So maybe today you need to give Jesus your everything. Believe who he says he is and, and commit your life to him. Maybe today if that's you, we're going to be down here to meet with you. But today would you surrender all? to him if so why don't you stand and let's pray Father God would you move in this place God would you speak over these people God would you speak over my family with me God we surrender all to you we commit to you and God today we just declare you are so worth it Lord we praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus we pray Amen